Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who was drafted in third round, 63rd overall by the New York Islanders in the 1994 NHL entry draft. He played his first NHL game with the Islanders against the Hartford Whalers on March 30th, 1996. He would go on to play another 630 games for the Islanders, Canucks, Blackhawks, Rangers, and Edmonton Oilers. After his playing career, he has hosted his own radio sports talk show, The Jason Strudwick Show, on Edmonton Station TSN 1260 from 2012 to 2015. In May 2000. 15, he moved to television where he hosted Dinner Television. And in May 2017, he returned to TSN as co host of the Jason Greger Show. It is a pleasure to welcome the man they call Struds, Jason Strudwick, to WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Jason. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going good. And, uh, you know, thank you for the opportunity. I was torn. I was thinking of wearing my Ranger Liberty jersey today or my Oiler yeah. jersey, but I broke out the Oilers jersey in your honor. So, uh, you know, thanks for that. This is the Liberty journeys at the cleaners, right? No, That's no. It's, the... it, I had them both out. And I said, hey, you know, uh, even though the Liberty jersey and you, all I can think of is the, the, the ultimate, the best shootout ever to happen at Madison Square Garden and you keeping that one going. Um, you know, Islander fans grimace at the mere mention of John Tavares, the photo of him as a boy sleeping in his bed with maple leaf <laughs> sheets and the cover. And it seems it's the dream of almost every young Canadian boy to play in the NHL. But even when you were playing for Don Hay and the, the Kamloops Blazers, you weren't really looking at it as a way to uh, make it to the NHL. You were looking at it merely just for a scholarship to college. That Blazer team had a lot of talent on it. Jerome McGillina, you know, Darcy Tucker, Shane Doan, Jason Holland. At what point did you come to the realization that you could actually do more than just get a scholarship out of playing you know, junior hockey? Yeah, it's so funny. You know, I I I, um, I never really considered myself an NHL player. You know, like uh, when I was uh, growing up, when I was ten or twelve or fourteen, there's like no one was saying, "Oh my God, this guy's gonna play in the NHL." I played it because I loved it. I loved to compete, and um, you know, I was pretty good in school. So my thought was always, "Let's let's just try to get a college scholarship." And so then, as the Blazers came back, they said, "Well, you you know, you can." I just finished grade twelve. They said, "If you come play for us for three years, we'll give you four years of schooling." I'm like, are you kidding me? That's a great deal. So I said, I'll sign up. So I, I rolled out there, and as you mentioned, Jerome Gimla came with me that year. Jason Hall and Shane Dolan was there one year in. And, um, you know, that year again we went on, and I kind of struggled till Christmas. And I found my way, and I slid myself uh, as a second-pairing defenseman on that team. And then I got drafted, and the day I got drafted was the day I'm like, you know what, I, I might actually be decent. Because uh, my agent, Donnie Meehan at the time, said, you might be a fifth or sixth rounder. And when I got that call as a third rounder, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? And I saw some of the guys around me that had been drafted. I was like, boy, these guys are good players. I must be, be decent. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to try this, the best I can to make it. And whether I make it or not, I'll, I'll be able to walk away content that I tried my best. And I, I emptied every, uh, you know, every, every single opportunity I had to go for it and to, to make it. And, you know, I watch players, and now I, I see players that come through the league that are, you know, maybe play 10 games or 20 games, and I see them not doing everything they can to be an NHL player. I'm really disappointed for them because you'll live with regret the rest of your life. And I, I can honestly say that after those whatever 600-some games, you know, they weren't all perfect, but I was proud of the way that I played. I couldn't have done more. I emptied the tank, and when I was done, I was like, you know, I tried my hardest, my best, and now I, I go on to something else. 
You know, it's so interesting that you said that you see some of these players play 10, 15 games and not, you know, do everything they can do to get better. Um, I had the opportunity fairly recently to sit down at lunch with Adam Oates, and we, we just talked hockey. And he said the same thing, that, you know, that these kids, they get there and they kind of believe their, their press clippings and they don't continue to learn and there's so much to learn in the game of hockey and, and he told me things that you know I thought I knew hockey and basically what I know about hockey can you know fit in the the fingernail clippings of Adam Oates I mean it was just <laughs> incredible the, the things he taught me in just an hour but you know how much did Don Hay impart you know hockey knowledge onto you how important was he for, for your foundation and the eventual, you know, development as a player? Well, I was very lucky to arrive at a program that really understood that it wasn't just the player developing, it's the person. And if you look now at that team and that they won two championships in junior hockey, I mean, there's guys that have gone on to Hall of Fame careers, guys that are now as NHL coach, assistant coaches, soon to be NHL head coaches, a lot of character in that dressing room. And that is, you know, the baseline for a good hockey player, I think, is character. Because, you know, I heard a quote when I was a lot younger, and I always said, you know, it, character is revealed when no one's watching. And it's easy for me to say, uh, you know, I worked out today, but no one was there, and I didn't work out that hard. But every time we worked out as a group in that Blazers, we always pushed each other to be better, and we didn't need the coaches looking at us. In fact, I remember Don Hay coming to me, myself and Nolan Baumgartner, um, and saying, guys, you guys work out too much. And we're like, no, we don't. We, just, we want to be the best. And we were a great defensive pairing, and, and everyone was the same. Aginla, Doan, Huska, all these guys, we all pushed each other to be great. So when we got to the pros, and now there's no one watching you, we already had that template. You know, I would go to the gym uh, when I went to Worcester in, with the Islanders farm team. Um, there wasn't a gym in our, in our, uh, in our at that time, in the, the home uh, dressing room. So I had to go to somewhere else to work out. And I had the discipline already to do it. You know, another guy's like, why are you doing this? You're wasting your time. And I knew that I wasn't wasting my time. I was getting stronger. I was getting faster. And you just have to believe in what you're doing. And I think that when I look at young players, I make the comment about not emptying, you know, every chance they can to be great. That includes on ice, off ice, watching older players, listen to your coaches, um, you know, eating right. It's to me the easiest thing to control is your is your, is your uh, conditioning, assuming you're healthy. So when I hear about a player arriving at camp without a shape or who maybe didn't have that extra push they needed to to make the team, I'm like, why why would you let that go off? The one thing that you can control so easily is your conditioning, and you don't come into camp conditioned. I, I just for me, if I was a coach, I'd be like, see you later, you're gone. Come back when I can see a six pack. You know, additionally, your cousins are Scott and Rob Niedermeyer. Did they give you any advice along the way when you were starting out? Well, they're amazing players. I mean, those guys, I'm not even the same, uh, um, you know, area, neighborhood as far as hockey players. Personality, I'm way funnier and better looking. So, you know, <laughs> long term, that serves me better. But when I was a hockey player, I'd rather have my cousin's skill. And, you know, they were amazing. We'd go to hockey schools together, and, I, you know, I'd be lucky to be average, and they'd be the two best players there. And so I was always chasing them. You know, I didn't have big brothers. I was lucky to have an awesome sister, um, um, but she didn't play hockey. So I was always chasing those guys. Those guys were the kind of my the, the, the carrot I was chasing. I, and I, I never caught them as far as skill level, but I saw how hard they trained. Like when we were 13, 14, they came to visit me, and they're running laps 
uh, up and back on the soccer field. My aunt said, why don't you go with him? I almost died. Like, I think I, I'm still hurting from that <laughs> workout. But I was like, oh, my God, these guys work out so hard. And, you know, I, I just started copying them. So I started doing the same training. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I would just run till I could almost keel over, right? And it gave me an advantage. I, I, I was in better shape so I could sustain whatever level of play I could when I was 14 or 15, higher than everyone. So I looked better. And so I was really lucky to have them. And, I, you know, when I was times were going good or bad, I'd be able to call them and, uh, you know, see how they're doing. And, and Scotty, as a defenseman, I'd always try to copy him, which is pretty much impossible to, co- to copy one of the greatest players of uh, defense of all time. But he was always so supportive. And uh, they were, they were, I was so lucky to have I know without them in my, in my life, I would not have made it to the NHL. You know, you mentioned about the Kamloops Blazer team and, you know, when you got drafted, seeing the players that got drafted along with you saying, yeah, you know, I'm in that, you know, range of players and I think I can can make it here. What do you remember most about draft day, a draft in which four of your Blazer defensemen, you and three others, were taken in the first four rounds? Well, I actually didn't go with the draft. My agent said, uh, you know, don't don't go. And I was a very naive hockey person, as was my family. Like, our goal, like, I want to be an accountant. If you want to talk about accounting, I knew what that was about. But hockey, I was very naive. And so my agent said, don't go. And I said, okay, no problem. Like, I, I don't regret that decision at all. And, in fact, when I, I was drafted, um, this was way before the intro, anything like that, I was sleeping because the draft was uh, in Hartford. And uh, I think that it happened pretty early in the morning, as, and I was sleeping at 8.30 in the morning. My mom comes running in my room and says, you know, Jason, there's a phone call. So I answered, and it's an other representative saying, hey, congratulations, we just drafted you in the third round. Uh, someone will be calling to tell you later. I'm like, great. And so I hang up, and my mom's like, what happened? I said, I think I just got drafted. And she's like, by who? I'm like, or who just called you? I'm like, I don't no idea who it was, and I, I think I was drafted by the Islanders. And then later that day, I got a call from my Camps Blazer GM congratulating me and telling me who had called and what it meant. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later, I got an Islander jersey in the mail. It was way too small, and I hung it up in my room, and I was like, well, I guess I'm an Islander now. You know, like, it was, it was the weirdest thing, and I was proud. But, you know, to me, it was just a... Uh, it was just like an op. It just showed opportunity, right? But I had it, it, it. A lot of kids think that that's the end. And once I get drafted, I'm in the NHL. But there's kids every day, every year that get drafted, and you have to keep pushing. So it's it's a nice thing to have, and I, I still have that jersey. But it really doesn't mean a lot. You still have to improve and push yourself and be great, you know, as great as you can. And if you do that, then you'll have the success you want, or have a chance to have that success. What I love about that story is it's typical Islanders. They sent the jersey regular mails, took a few weeks to show up instead of sending yeah. it overnight. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know what? I, 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 Jared Dooling also played for our team in Camelops, and he was drafted by the Islanders. And I remember when I left Camelops, he said, Jason, you're going to get drafted. And I was like, oh, thanks, Dooler. We call him Dooler. And he said, but I just hope you don't get drafted by the Islanders. And sure enough, I got drafted by the Islanders, and uh, it was just a gong show. It was like, you know, my first training camp, uh, Mike Milbury says, we'll have a new you know, arena in three, three years. And we're going to be in the playoffs in three years. Boom, they're still looking for a new arena. In fact, the team's not even there anymore. And I don't think Milbury ever made the, well, I made, made the playoffs once or twice. Oh, amazing. You know, and it's interesting <laughs> that it, it kind of nice little full circle because March 30th, 1996, Hartford again, the Hartford Civic Center, your first NHL game. Yeah. Seven minutes into it, you get a roughing penalty. You and Kelly Chase mix it up. Ten minutes later, you and Kelly drop the glove. So welcome to the NHL. What do you remember about that first game? Well, I was so nervous. And uh, I drove. I was in Worcester and a team. I, I drove to Hartford. 
um, after one of my games. I think it was on a Saturday night, and we played in Friday in Worcester. And I, I was told after the game, I was so nervous. I drove there, and I got there. My roommate was sleeping, and uh, he didn't even wake up to say hi. He just kept sleeping. I'm like, thanks a lot. So um, I'm so nervous for this game. And I know some of the guys were like Bertuzzi and McCabe and Fisho was there. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm going to fight somebody. There, there's no, I, I, I might not ever get this chance again. I want to have a story to tell. So um, I'm like, okay, Kelly Chase is a really tough guy. Yes. So we got into that first one. It was a bit of a dust-up, and I thought I'd get five. And the rest like, no, you only get two. I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm going to the box, and Kelly Chase is like, we're going again, rookie. We're going again. I'm like, you better believe it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder you, you know, whatever. <laughs> and um, we're sitting in the box. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so scary. i got to fight this guy again. <laughs> so we did finally get out there. We had a good fight. And Chaser, you know, I've, I'm now we're now good friends. And in the box, they said, "Good fight, rookie. You know, you're gonna have a good career." And really supportive, right? And then playing that game was great. And and I, I remember thinking, like, I made some passes, and I, I felt, you know, it really kind of made me feel like I can do this. And uh, uh, Pat Slyly, who was there, and I think it was Carpenter, both of them after the game uh, say, "No, good game. You know, just keep doing what you're doing." And that always, I, I remember that as I became an, an older player, I always try to tell the guys the positive. Like, I like you did this, I like you did that. Just keep doing, going at it. Really supportive. And I always appreciate it from those two guys because they didn't have to do it. I was a 20-year-old rookie. Who cares? But they were really supportive of, of just that, that quick little game I had with uh, the Islanders. It's interesting because you get traded from the Islanders to the Canucks. So you go from Mike Milbury and Rick Bonus to Mike Keenan, uh, which is uh, it's pretty interesting yeah. in itself. But you come into your own in Vancouver and you get a reputation as a stay-at-home um, type of defense and great back-checker, a guy who can hit and block shots. If I remember correctly, your first two seasons in Vancouver, the goalies were Sean Burke, Kurt McLean, Artis Urbe, Corey Hertz, Garth Snow, and Kevin Weeks. Those are not your run-of-your-mill goaltenders. How much did having those guys behind you speed up your development as a young defenseman? And the reason why I ask that is because the Rangers have a bunch of young defensemen now, and they have Henrik behind them. So how much does that help a young defenseman? Well, the biggest thing for a young team is they, they need help like communicating. And I always wanted to hear from my goalie. And whether or not he was telling me exactly what to do, just hear him talking, it's just reassuring. And I, and I love that. I always love that. And Garth Snow, I know that New York people know him really well. Um, he became a really good mentor to me, both on and off the ice, in a very positive way. And you know, he would challenge me in ways, saying, "No, why don't you? Why don't you do this with that pucker? Why don't you do that with the pucker?" You know, and, and he was so supportive. And you know, Kevin Weeks, a little bit, he was kind of still trying to establish himself. Same thing with Archie Irby. You know, he was a very, very hard worker on and off the ice. And I remember thinking, this guy is like, how we're old, and he's still like an animal in the gym and working out. Like seeing that is really, it really is a big impression on the guy. And when you're a young player. Um, although the game's changed now, I still think you can learn a lot from older players. And, uh, you know, older can be 24, 25 year old player when you're 20. But how do they prepare? How do they get ready? And these goalies were very open and helpful to, to make sure that I knew what I needed to do to help them, you know, as far as the exchange with the, D, with the, with the D-men. And even, you know, you know it, on a two-on-one, you take the pass. I'll take the shot or just different things. And it really goes a long way. And I, I think sometimes it gets lost a little bit with all the talk of skill now in the NHL and in hockey. We forget that it's still a team game. And there needs to be a lot of communication and support for each other to make sure we know how to, how to make these things happen, how to make it make sense for not just the young players, but for the team together. We're speaking with Jason Strudwick here on WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York. You, you mentioned Garth Snow, but who, who do you think was the, your biggest mentor that helped you out the most early on in your career? Well, a guy who had a big impact was Mark Messier. You know, and I played, I think, for like two, two and a half years, and he was my idol. 
And the day I got traded to uh, Vancouver, I walked in the dressing room, and I was so nervous. Like, McGillney, Burry, Messier, all these guys I grew up, like, watching or playing on Sega 94 with. I'm now in the same room. So I went and I just hide in the stick room. And, I like, if anyone saw me play, I didn't spend a lot of time with my sticks. So I go in there, and who's standing there but Mark Messier? And he walks up, he's like, hi, I'm Mark. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I know who you are. <laughs> you know, I'm Jason. And we got to talk for, like, 15 minutes. And, um, you know, that 15 minutes was huge. He took the time and, you know, I whittled my stick down to pretty much a toothpick. I was like, I don't care what this, I'm, I'm going to talk to this guy till he's done talking. And we had a great conversation, not, nothing about hockey, just, you know, just being a, you know, just, just whatever, just talking about Edmonton and all that stuff. And then he like, fast forward for a couple of years, we're together, and I always saw the way he treated his teammates and, and, he, and the way he, he treated the staff, the way he walked into to, um, arenas always talking to everyone. When you had a team dinner or party, everyone was invited. So, you know, walk in a hotel and be like, guys, I'm going for dinner at 7. Who wants to go? It wasn't like, hey, I'll just tell these two and not tell these two guys. Like, I love that about Mess. Then the way he acted on the ice. You know, when Mess came off the shift, he made a lot of great plays, there's no doubt. But there were some times where, you know, maybe he didn't make the best play, but you could tell. You could never tell by his face that it was great or bad. And I love that. And, and I always felt that he was, when he was on the bench, things were going to be okay. Because Mess was there, not because he was a great player, although I was a big part of it, but just because he was there and he was just a calming influence. And one of the best compliments I got when I was older playing for the Oilers was Tom Gilbert, who's no longer in the NHL. But he, he said to me, he goes, Stratty, I, I don't like when you don't play because when you're there, it just feels better. I just feel like we're going to be okay. And, and you're calming and you're just... And I, I love that because I watched Mess do that and the way he handled situations, the way he spoke to people. And, and I learned so much from him um, as far as being a leader and being a good NHL and a pro. And I actually, when I was done, I wrote him a letter uh, to thank him. And, uh, you know, he was, he, he was very nice. He was, happy, he was nice enough to tell me he got the letter and really appreciated it. But he was very special to my development as a, as a, as a person and as a, as a hockey player, professional hockey player, which is different than a junior player. You know, it's interesting because I actually sent you the audio of an interview I did this preseason with Mark Stahl. He's sure. now in the role of, of mentorship to some of the Rangers' young defensemen, guys like Neil Pionk, Anthony D'Angelo. And I asked him, you know, who served that role for him in his rookie year. And without hesitating, he said, absolutely you. You were his roommate. You taught him everything there was to know about being a pro. When you look back and realize that your mentoring is not just for one generation of player, but the things that you taught Mark, he's now imparting on the next generation, and that generation will impart that onto another. Does it take on greater significance to you? Well, it's part of the NHL chain. I think that's important to, to recognize that it's passing on. You know, and I think for, you know, I, I didn't just start this trend. You know, as I just mentioned, Mark Missy helped me, or Garth Snow, or, or Dana Merz, and these, these guys that I played with pass this on to me, and I think you pass it on. And that the guys I think that last in the NHL are the ones that are willing to support someone else, knowing that guy's taking your job. You know, like there's no doubt that Mark Stahl, um, you know, was taking my job in, in, in New York. It wasn't like, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, I was Brian Leach and, and Stahl, he's going to play in the third pairing. Like, I was actually prepping him to take my job, but I knew that. Just like when I was with Vancouver coming in, Dana Merzin or Jamie Hushcroft or, you know, these types of guys, they knew that they were prepping me to take their job. But I think that's what makes NHL so unique, so special, that, you know, you, you, you are still helping out the next generation. You know, when I got to New York, and Mark was there, Stalls, he was there. I, I was lucky enough that I'd had a good career. I was very satisfied with what I did, but I wanted to make sure that I helped these next group. The guys, I think, that are selfish and that actually wish bad things upon the younger players, they get kicked out of the league eventually because no one wants that negativity around. 
part of the responsibility is to make sure you prep your guy to take your spot at some point. And um, then you can, the team starts to build and do well. And, you know, when I, when I look back at that team, you know, we, we, after that 405 lockout, there's no doubt it helped that we had the King and then that Henrik Lundqvist. But, you know, that team, we were, we were playing for each other and it was so much fun. And that Rangers team went on a great run of success of playoff and developing players. And although I was only there for a short, you know, a couple of years, two and a half years, I feel like, you know, with my, my, my contributions and my teammates, we started something special. They got that team going the right direction. I'm very proud of that. And that means a lot to me, although I, you know, I didn't, didn't play in a lot of the playoff games. But I love that idea that that's what happened. I think, but I think that's what an unselfish player, and that's the separates, I think, NHL players from other professional sports, is we give that back to our teammates. Absolutely. The Oilers were here in town yesterday afternoon and to take on the Rangers. They were coming off a very disappointing season, which they were 25 points off the 103-point campaign of 2016-2017. 0-2 to start the season. Articles in Edmonton already had Saturday's game. Game 3 of the season is a must-win. Why was there so much focus put on not starting off at 0-3 before returning home? Well, there's a lot of pressure on this team. You know, um, it's, they've got Connor McDavid, which... Everyone believes that you know he's, 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 if not the best, one of the two best players in the league, and he, he puts on a clinic uh, nightly. Um, but after that, there's a lot of players that are trying to find their, their game, whether they're younger players like a Leon Dreisaitl or Darnell Nurse or a guy a little bit lower to like Lucic who's trying to get you know, himself wrapped around a new game that was developing. Uh, seems like it gets faster all the time. And it, it's a challenge for this team, and they're, they're trying, to, trying to get back to be a playoff team you know, Peter Chiarelli, some of the trades he made, uh, there's some people who frowned upon him. Uh, Todd McCullen, you know, as a coach, you seem to take a lot of the hits uh, when things aren't going well, and then you kind of stand back when things are going well, like they did two years ago. But, you know, this, I think the problem is that this team needs to find identity when McDavid's not on the ice. When he's on the ice, you know, the two of you guys and myself could be playing out there and we'd get points, we'd score goals, and he's been involved in every single goal for the Oilers this year. But when he's not on the ice... What do, what do we do? How do we play it? Who's the leader? You know, I'm looking at Leon Dreisaitl. I'm looking at Jujar Kara. I'm looking at Ryan Strom. I'm looking at Jesse Puliarvi. All these types of guys that, you know, you hope to get 10, 15, maybe 20 goals out of some of these guys. How can they get that done and create offense when he's not, when 97 is on the ice? And it's, it's a challenge for, for that group to figure it out, but one that they have to do because you can't just turn to McDavid, who's playing, I think he's averaging like 23 or 24 minutes a night. I mean, how much more can he play this guy? So the other guys have to stand up and figure out, this is how we play him. He's on the ice. This is how we have success. It's amazing you mentioned the way he plays, and even that goal yesterday, the game winner, you know, not a prototypical McDavid. I, I thought for sure that buck was going to be roofed over Henrik's shoulder. You know, he doesn't even get all of it, but he's a goal scorer, and they find the back of the net. You know, and, and you mentioned the trades. Obviously, it's tough for a franchise to rebound from Taylor Hall for Adam Larson and Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom. Uh, lastly, does management need to put together a timetable to put together a true cup contender when you have a once-in-a-lifetime talent such as McDavid as your cornerstone? Well, if the Oilers fans are listening, aren't going to like this, but I've, I've been saying this on our show repeatedly, is that the Oilers for a long time are trying to find the short, short way, the, the, the quick way of turning things around. And you can't have long-term success in the NHL without having your own players that you've drafted and now developed come up and push through. Um, for too long, the Oilers, yeah, you know, the first, the first picks are generally 
somewhat successful. You know, it's, 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 it, and I'm not talking about Taylor Hall. I'm talking about like an Everly later on the pick, uh, Darnell Nurse later on the first round. These guys have turned into good players. It's outside of the first round where you separate teams that maybe are in and out of the playoffs every year to teams that are in the playoffs all the year. Look at some of the draft records of teams that are near or at the top of the league. Let's look at Nashville, all the players they've drafted, developed outside the first round. Um, same goes for Tampa Bay. Same goes for Boston now. Then you look at some of the teams that are at the bottom of that, with some of the struggles maybe Montreal has or, or the Oilers have had or even Calgary. So you've got to find those players outside of the first round, draft and develop. I think that with Gretzky, uh, Keith Gretzky now, who's, who's you know, doing a lot of the draft work for the MC Oilers, we're starting to see that coming in. Uh, the problem is it takes time. You can't just hit the, the, the fast-forward button and say, okay, Tyler Benson, you're ready to go. You're a second rounder two years ago. It doesn't work like that. Tyler Benson now in his first year in the minors. He's going to probably need you know, 12 to 18 months to get NHL ready. And when he is NHL ready, that might just be a fourth-line winger. You know what? That'd be a win for the Oilers. They have other guys in, in Europe. They have some guys in junior in North America here that you, know, in, in, you hope in two to three years will be ready. The problem is for Peter Chiarelli and company and Tom McClellan, can you bide the time to get to that point where now you're, these guys are bubbling up and you can have success and then add pieces here or there through trades and or free agents? Do you need, oh, we need a right wing or a second. Okay, let's go and get that. So it's a real challenge, but I, I, I preach patience, but that's hard to a fan base who's seen the playoffs, <laughs> what, it once in the once. last, uh, whatever it is, yep. 13, 14 years. And one playoff round win, absolutely. All right, Struts, thanks so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. Yeah, a lot of fun. Uh, go Giants. Uh, tough game for them on Thursday. That's my team. And, oh, man, Eli, got to get your arm back. <laughs> Jason Strudwick, former New York Islander and New York Ranger.